welcome to More Than Words, a podcast about treating the whole child brought to you by the Reading and Language Learning Center. I'm your host, Tristan, and today I'm joined by educational psychologist and cognitive neuroscientist, Dr. Lane Kopfleisch, to discuss stealth dyslexia. Hi, Dr. K. How are you doing? Hi, how are you this morning? Very, very excited for you to be here. Very good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. Um, For those who may not have heard, we had Dr. Kopfleisch on an episode um, a couple months back, and it was amazing. We had a discussion about unmasking. So if you have not checked that out, please feel free to do so. Um, But let's have you introduce yourself again, just in case people do not know who you are, you wonderful human. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, So I'm Dr. Lane Kopfleisch, and I have a practice called Tui Consults, LLC. TUI Consults, that is shorthand TUI for twice exceptional. Um, And what I do is serve families and children across the lifespan that need help with these kinds of issues tied to twice exceptionality, having superior abilities, but then either learning or psychiatric conditions. Um, This takes the form of psychoeducational evaluation, coaching, uh, social skills or assistive technology, and staff developments for clinical staffs and schools. Um, The informal way that I describe what I do is that it's really helping understand what's going on with someone from the inside out and then fitting or matching what's happening from the outside in. That's awesome. And yeah, I mean, it sounds amazing. It sounds very rewarding. Um, And if people were looking to find you guys, where would they go? Mm-hmm. Sure. On the web, it's www.the2e.com. Um, I have offices in New Mexico and Virginia. In Virginia, I'm at 12020 Sunrise Valley Road in Reston. And in New Mexico, I'm in a town about 45 minutes north of Santa Fe called Española. Um, and that office sits nested among the, the eight northern pueblos. Very uh, cool. Country. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Well, I'll make sure to pop that all in the show notes so that folks can find you in whatever part of the country they're in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I see, I see clients all over the United States. So my physical boundaries and settings are, are life pre and post COVID. um, But I have clients all over the United States. Okay. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, we're talking about stealth dyslexia today and This is something I think people have like never heard of as opposed to dyslexia. You know what I mean? Um, So let's jump into it. What's the, what is stealth dyslexia? And then what's the, why is it different? Sure. Absolutely. So, you know, a more classic definition of dyslexia that comes from the International Dyslexia Association is that it's a specific learning disability characterized by difficulties with fluent word recognition, poor spelling and decoding, problems with comprehension, um, you know, reading is not their favorite thing to do. Right. But uh, in stealth dyslexia, actually, kids with stealth dyslexia can be avid readers. They can yeah. really enjoy the reading process. But where you see the differences are that compared to a really elegant, beautiful verbal IQ, their word processing, their written output looks completely different. You know, you may see dysgraphia, you may see really, you know, less mature thinking produced from their hand than what comes out of their mouth verbally. 
Um, they may have some visual and spatial issues. Mm. And as you can imagine, um, you know, it's stealth because it kind of flies under the radar. Right. Um, and I also have to mention, this is not my term. It, stealth dyslexia was coined by Brock and Fernette Idy, who are MDs in the Seattle area, oh. who kept seeing this pattern in break kids. And they are the ones that termed stealth dyslexia. Okay. Um, yeah. Very but but it's it's a condition that often is masked. And okay. as you mentioned in the previous podcast on unmasking, this is a classic situation of masking for yeah. gifted children who are struggling in the classroom and really do not realize that they are smart. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you touched on a couple of them, but what are like the red flags for stealth dyslexia as opposed to those for just dyslexia. Right. Yeah. So I mentioned kind of the formal learning red flags, the spelling, the writing, the output doesn't match uh, what what a person is giving verbally and what they can do. Um, In young kids, they may be avid readers. And and of course, you wouldn't think an avid reader would have any processing issues as well. Um, Red flags in older kids, when it's undiagnosed, it looks like inattention. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I get a lot of kids coming in and questions about inattention and distractibility. And, um, again, in, in the unmasking paradigm, inattention and hyperactivity can come from so many different things. I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. And so I'm always about the why, okay, you, uh, you know, general attention is the world. Well, let's get more specific. And so you really have to look carefully and yeah. yeah. So when it's a general attention issue, learning self-esteem issue in a middle school kid or a high school kid, um, that's often one of the things that I'm really looking for and hunting for in the testing. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, uh, like, let's say like a, a, um, teacher, excuse me, is looking at one of their students, one kid they know has dyslexia and they've seen all the red flags and they went through it and they're like, okay, makes sense. They got the diagnosis and they were able to recognize that, but they have another kid that's struggling and it's stealth dyslexia, but they don't know what are the things like, how does it manifest in the classroom? Um, and how can teachers recognize it? Sure. Um, I I may tell you a quick story to illustrate that. That'd be great. Um, One of the two case studies in the unmasking chapter in my book, Teaching to Every Kid's Potential, Simple Neuroscience Lessons to Liberate Learners. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Uh, But but one of the two, one case study is on autism spectrum. And the other one is on a middle school student with stealth dyslexia. Um, and this comes from, uh, you know, two cases that happened fairly close to each other. And I kind of created the braid of the two. But um, there were kiddos in middle school in the metro area mm-hmm. and very, very smart, um, but having a lot of trouble with distractibility, with written output, missed assignments, late assignments. Okay. Turns out this kiddo had stealth dyslexia, yeah. but the English teacher is saying, but they are so smart. And how could they be having a problem with dyslexia? Well, the other classroom, uh, like kind of reverse engineering. Oh, how did we know he was in a class with 34 kids? And I went to that class. Oh my gosh. And it was loud. It, I mean, 34 middle schoolers in one classroom, even when it's 
calm, it's still, there's a level of noise. So this was a kiddo who was really sensitive to noise, trying to leave the class, Mm -hmm. um, really to get away from the noise, the sensory Um, the other cardinal thing was that here's a really smart kiddo who is not, not really pestering the teacher, but very reliant on, on a, a core group of friends to translate for them. Yeah. And so you would see, you know, even when the work wasn't group work, when it was, amen, because then the translation was there and the extra repetition and help. Um, but when not, you know, you might see this kiddo at inappropriate times pulling on the sleeve of their neighbor. Um, yeah. And, and again, you, you know, you don't expect that kind of behavior from someone who's really, really smart. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so if like, you know, the teacher can maybe recognize that and talk to someone at home, but let's say the parent has, it, or the teacher hasn't been noticed anything, but the parent is seeing struggles at home, what do things at home look like? Maybe not necessarily homework related. Right. School refusal, Mm. anxiety. I don't want to go to school. I don't feel well today. Um, Again, you know, coming from a really bright gifted student, that isn't a a typical stance. Right. Um, Behavioral issues at Mm. night. Don't want to do homework. Uh, immaturity, meltdowns, tantrums, right. you know, this is, these are not kiddos on the autism spectrum. And yet after four o'clock in the afternoon, there's a shift. Yeah. And parents, you know, are racking their brains for what's happening. And a lot of times it's, it's something like this processing that's really subtle. Right. And nine times out of 10 in the kids I've seen, stealth dyslexia is usually what has explanatory power. Interesting. So do kids get misdiagnosed all the time? Because when you first said inattention, I was like, someone's Mm going to label that as ADHD and like run with it. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, and that's a surface level characteristic and they may only get so far. You know, I ask parents all the time if they're coming in with previous diagnoses. Okay. What are you doing? Sometimes there's medicine. Right. Sometimes it's it's a lot of behavioral coaching and strategies. And I always say is what you're doing helping. Mm. And you hear this, ah, sort of, I'm mm-hmm. not sure. How, how do I know Dr. K if the medicine is working, you know, right. they're shrugging their shoulders <laughs> and I'm like, oh boy, we have some work to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's the general attention I think is what typically gets diagnosed. Yeah. Um, when I read reports that have been done previous to my evaluations, you might see a hint of it. There will be a sentence that says something about um, you know, something's off, phonological memory or uh one of the deeper language processing and yet everything else looks really good. The achievement right. looks high, the IQ looks high. And so people just tend to dismiss it and mm. say it's there, but you know, but dot dot dot, nothing's yeah. nothing's happening. So and it, it doesn't it doesn't really emerge and become a big thing until middle high school, right? Because reading gets assignments get bigger. Oh yeah, the print gets smaller. The expectations <laughs> for comprehension become more complex. Yeah. Um, and that's, so then you have these smart kids who think they're not smart. Yeah. They're having 
self-esteem issues. They're having school refusal and anxiety and parents are thinking, what in the world is going on? Yeah. So how do you end up getting that proper diagnosis if people sometimes they're like, well, (laughs) one thing's off, but it's fine. Right. I always, I always look at, um, you know, the deep language skills, how those shake up. What does phonological processing look like? What does phonological memory look like? What does rapid naming look like? Mm, Because, you know, rapid naming deficit is its own subtype of dyslexia. And whenever I see those, but everything else looks pretty good, I I stop and I reverse and I go back and, you know, do the subtractions on the, the score counts, how big are these discrepancies, um, and of course, to be diagnosable as learning disability, there has to be a certain level of discrepancy. Right. So, yeah. So I'm I'm always looking for the why. And yeah. if the why is showing up symptomatically in psychiatric screeners, that's one. But if you go into the, the deep language processing skills and, and any of those are low, then that's usually ding, ding. You know, there's a stealth dyslexia here. And no wonder this kid feels a bit terrorized (laughs) because they're used to things coming easily. And all of a sudden there's, you know, there's a something puts on the brakes in their brain and kids always think what's wrong with me. That's the first, what's the matter? It must be me. Um, And it's bad that we don't see it until it kind of mushrooms a bit. Right. So what age is, is our students normally getting diagnosed? I see it in middle and high schoolers okay, or like middle schoolers becoming high schoolers. That's usually when parents, you know, get the tip from school or are tired of seeing behaviors and struggles with tutors and medicine. And they say, there has to be something else. What are we missing? Um, and and my whole practice is predicated on really getting to the right root of the problem and unmasking. And yeah. so those are the those are the people that tend to find themselves, you know, at my door of yeah. we have a mountain of paperwork, things are marginally improving or they're not, you know, what could this be? Right. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the possibilities. Right. And that's older than most of the like dyslexia diagnoses. Cause like a lot of the kids that even we see at RLC tend to be like, I don't know, third grade. Cause that's when a lot of kids like, you know, hit that wall where they like can't remember any more like vocab words and things to just like stick, you know, stick in their memory somewhere. It's like, it's too full. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So just interesting the the age difference between the two. It is well, the brain compensates in elementary age. There's enough going on in the brain to help do other things. You know, dyslexics are famous contextual readers. Mm. Uh, You know, don't do well on multiple choice because multiple choice scale scales back the the deeper context. So um, even kids who are good at memorizing things, they will just you know, create visual recognition and do it that way. Right. Um, I've worked with a couple of kids who are, you know, they're actors, they're on the stage and, and they do quite well. And yet they have dyslexia or still dyslexia. And yeah. so young enough, the language is spread out the, and 
basic enough right. that they kind of grab on right. um, at their own pace and their their brain is smart in other ways. But right. as as you know, as things become more complex and deep in terms of assignments and curriculum and concepts, then they're then they run out of gas. Oh yeah. I mean, I can yeah. only imagine. I remember when I took I guess one of my first like pre-AP classes or AP classes, I think it was AP um, history and the textbook was massive. And like you said, the print was so tiny and every night it was like, read this whole chapter (laughs) and like, here's a couple pages where you need to put like every note that you could ever think of into the little box. And you're like, oh, right. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit um, terrorizing for kids that yeah. have this because they're used to cruising along at a pretty good clip. Right. And then, and then the context changes, but right. they don't. And that's where that I'm not smart. You mm-hmm. know, I've seen kids with IQs in the clouds who really believe they are not smart. Oh. And usually this is what's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what do parents do for their kids once they've gotten like this diagnosis? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a, a bunch of things that they can do um, with kids, regardless of the age, assistive technology can be really helpful. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because you can customize a Kindle visually, you can customize audible to the voice of the narrator and how fast they read. Right. Um, Kindle has some really beautiful note note features to help offload working memory that comes with the note taking and the executive functioning. Um, and so that's usually where I pivot yeah. clients to is let me let me take you through some coaching on some assistive technology that will give your brain space externally right. uh, to put things in a way that your mind naturally understands them. Um, and create this external outside in context to the way you're used to thinking and then bridge the gap between where, where the roadblock has just gone up. Yeah. And one thing, um, I'm not a therapist here, right? I I do all of our, you know, other, other awesome things that make the business run. But, um, I do see a lot of times the therapist will use like talk to text with a lot of our kiddos, um, which is they say is like immensely helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that takes the hands out of the equation, I'd right. say, <laughs> because their handwriting, and again, it's it's a really nuanced um, suggestion back to parents and teachers because young kids, the the motor development of learning handwriting helps with certain skill development. But after a certain point, I really believe that it makes more sense to teach the kids to keyboard, speech to text, and use some of the assistive reading technologies because then their brains uh, can go the speed that they're accustomed to, which, you know, begins to repair the self-esteem. Right. Because that's, yeah, the self-esteem really takes a hit and it is possible to recover, but it, it takes some of these really dry programmatic things to get kids feeling like they have what they need to yeah. to do what they know their brains can do. Yeah. And yeah. do you ever recommend like OT or, you know, speech therapy for that? That's what we do, right? So we've got the speech therapists are trying to do dyslexia, but anything else that you recommend for? Yes. Yeah. 
both of those. Yeah. Um, again, depending on the age of the kiddo, I try to push the envelope on the age that practices accept, you yeah. know, because on that older end, if you can catch somebody that's going to be open, it really is worth a try. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, the technologies, your eyes are helping your brain, but OT and speech, again, you know, getting into the deep language processing and some of the sensory things, mm-hmm. because the brain, you know, capitulates among all those things naturally. Right. So to be able to pull them out and, you know, put them in somebody's hands and say, we're going to try this because, you know, yeah. and kids will, eh, I don't want to do that. Or that's babyish. I'm too old for that. Yeah. You know, and so when I get that kind of a response, we have a little biology lesson mm-hmm. and I explain to them, let, you know, let me tell you, this is, this is something in, in your brain that it's happening in a piece of tissue about the size of your pinky fingernail. Crazy. You know? And I said, so it's very subtle and small. All it really amounts to are these two pieces of brain gyri that are neighbors so that, you know, every, the neurons are where they should be only they get, in some cases, they might get fused a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and stuck together. And so there's this crosstalk between neurons that don't usually talk. And then other ones aren't talking. And I had one little girl say to me, oh, I have a web toe for a brain. <laughs> and, and I said to her, oh, that's, that, you know, that's the bumper sticker. I have, I have a web toe in my brain. Oh my gosh. Right. And this oh. was a little girl who was, she kind of looked like Pippi Longstocking. She yeah. was like on the stage, really bright and cheery. And when she came in, you know, her mom literally was like, Dr. K, the lights went out. We found out she has dyslexia and oh. the lights have gone out. And the day oh. we had this conversation about the tissue the size of her pinky finger. Now she bounced out and her mom called me and said, I don't know what you said to her, but the lights are back on. Oh, fabulous. (laughs) Yeah. So I I tell her story all the time because when kids are like, "Mm, no, I'm too old to do that. Or I don't want to do that. um, We have the biology lesson to kind of push back any residual shame about it and just say, just part of your wiring. And now that we know that that wire is there that way, we can, we can fix it. Yeah. We get in there. But you have to be on your own team. You right. know? That's what I tell the kid. You have to be on your own team. Look at all these people. We're all on your team. Yeah. And you to be on your own team. Yeah. So that's wow. usually the, the hevo and into, into <laughs> intervention world. <laughs> that is so funny. A webbed toe in my brain. Oh Mm -hmm. my gosh. And I mean, we've seen the same kind of a thing that happens where, you know, you've got a kid that comes in and and they feel that they're a little too old, but then once they get the buy-in, right? Like, like you said, once they're on their own team, they're like, oh, well, this is cool. Like I'm into it because now I know I am smart (laughs) and I can do hard things. (laughs) And things are going to start to feel better too. Yeah. Yeah. They're not going to feel like they're getting hoodwinked in school. Right. Exactly. Cool feeling. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that was my last question for you, but I didn't know if you had anything else you wanted to share with us. Yeah. Um, 
Well, the the web toast story, there's an editorial that I wrote for the Fairfax County Times a few Ooh, years back. Yeah. And it, it's in that editorial. So I'll I'll send you the link to that editorial. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. 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 It's a nice follow-up to what we've been talking about with stealth dyslexia. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been yeah. fabulous. My pleasure. I, yeah. And I know a lot of people have heard now are like hearing this and being like, oh my gosh, I know, I know what to do now. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, attention is such a global phenomenon and it's influenced in every condition. You yeah. know, autism influences attention, specific learning disability. So I would say, you know, if parents are struggling, their kiddo has a diagnosis of some attention disorder, but things have not gotten better. Yeah. Chances are there's, there's, there's something deeper in the mechanism. And as I said before, I I see a lot of it It with stealth dyslexia. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, again, thank you so much for being here and um, thanks for doing a second episode with us. It's fabulous. (laughs) It's great. Anytime. Thank you, Tristan. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much to the audience for listening. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a little rating and review. It helps other folks find the podcast and we'll chat with you next time.